What's up everyone and welcome to episode 106 of the Justin Insight Podcast, a show where I, Tim Birkbeck, talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. I uh, hope everyone's well, hope everyone had lovely weeks uh, since the last time we were here in this little pod that is uh, the Justin Insight Podcast. I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm rambling already and I'm barely a minute into this intro. Um, I was back on the gig wagon again this week, which... I seem to be constantly at the moment, not complaining. I love going to live shows and there seems to be lots of them to go to at the moment, which is wonderful. But um, I attended the Washed Out Festival in Brighton, which was loads of fun. Got to see some friends who I haven't seen in a long time, which is always good as well. Um, But it did dawn to me that we're kind of officially, unofficially approaching festival season here in the UK. Um, Obviously, had Dreadfest earlier in March, now Washed Out. Uh, I will be attending uh, Mr. Stars in Berlin in May. Um, I feel like there's something else in May as well. It escapes me right now, but then before you know it... Oh, Slam Dunk. We'll then be going into 2000 Trees, Art Tangent, Download Festival. So yeah, all coming around pretty quickly. And cannot forget Fluff Fest, my spiritual home. Um, shall we say, oh, Outbreak as well, how can I forget about Outbreak, it's on my birthday, well, a couple of days after my birthday, but yeah, lots of festivals coming up soon, so very excited to see lots and lots of bands, um, and probably end up taking lots and lots of photos as well, so yeah, really exciting times ahead, Um, I've got a little bit of admin news, I guess, Uh, some of you who follow us on social media may have recently seen, and I can't honestly remember if I've mentioned it on this show yet but I'm mentioning it now Uh, but we now have tote bags for sale Um, my fantastic brother was kind enough to do me a new design so uh, I stuck it on a tote bag and another fantastic friend of mine uh, Mikey Parker who runs Vino Sangri who if you own any UK punk hardcore DIY t-shirt I'm pretty sure he's probably printed it Um, he was kind enough to print the bags for me so if you fancy just an inside podcast tote bag head over to justininsight.bigcartel.com and you can pick one up from there, just five of your English pounds. Um, And all the money made from the sales go right back into this show, helping me produce, get new guests, travel, so on and so forth, get better equipment, um, and keep this show ticking over, really. So, yeah. Um, Finally, just a couple of other plugs. My band, The Divorcee, we're finally playing some shows in 2019. Uh, It feels like we haven't played in a long time, so to make up for it, we're doing two shows in one day, because why not? And it's going to be on 420, just to top things off. Straightish Kid doing two shows, 420. The irony is not less lost there. Not lost on me. Let's try that one again. Um, but I'm clicking loads today. I don't know why. What's, I'm in a very weird mood today. I apologise. I apologise. Sorry, I'm not telling you to apologise. Let's see what is going on. But um, yeah, we're playing uh, a charity all day in Portsmouth, but we're playing that quite early. So if you're in Portsmouth, I believe we're on about three o'clock, if memory serves me well. I haven't got the details in front of me right now. Uh, but once we play, we're going to hang around for a little bit, then shoot off down the road to Southampton, uh, where we're playing with our good friends in Ithaca. So yeah, looking forward to that. If you're around, come say hi, give us a high five, um, and just have a fun time, because punk and hardcore shows are the fucking best um right that's enough about me 
let's go on to a guest. Uh, and this week I'm joined by guitarist of the band Monument, uh, Dan Bourne. Uh, during the conversation we discussed Dan growing up in Germany, uh, what it was like kind of once he moved over here to London, uh, the kind of fortuitous circumstances that led him to be in Monument, and obviously now uh, Monument playing the sort of level of festivals that they're playing that his kind of metal icons when he was a, a child of now becoming his peers and how that sort of situation's working out in in a weird strange way that is music so yeah as always please sit back enjoy the conversation i have with dan and i'll see you on the other side uh so joining me this week on the justin insight podcast is guitarist of heavy metal band monument dan Bourne. dan you look like you're surrounded by guitars where you are where, where are you at right now <laughs> no i'm i'm at home Believe it or not, I'm yeah. sat at my desk and yeah, I do have. Go on then, have a gander. <laughs> just, just a little selection there in case I need them. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it's exciting to be here. Nice to chat shop with you and and meet the whole community and everything. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Well, as I mentioned before, kind of hitting the the record button. Obviously, the show's called Just an Insight. I like yeah. to take my guests right back to their their origins, so to speak. Nice. So, so what kind of what was your first exposure to kind of alternative music? What kind of got you into sort of exploring that sort of, I guess not the norm. I guess is the best way to put it. It's funny, isn't it? You, you're making me go down memory lane now. <laughs> I, I tell you what, with me, so I, I don't know how old you are. I was born in '89, right? So same as me. So I, I was I was at that age about. So I was listening to what everybody else was listening to until I was maybe like 11, 12 years old. Yeah. And then the big thing was rap. Right, right yeah. Was into rap. So I had this friend, and because I was always like five years behind everybody with technology, my parents were a bit terrible at giving me things. <laughs> so, so I, my friend in school, she would play albums onto cassette for me because all I had was a cassette player yeah. at home. So she, you know, like those first couple of Eminem albums and Wu Tang and that kind of stuff, she would put on cassettes for me. But at the end, where there was free space, as you did back then, you'd put on stuff just to fill it up yeah yeah and she was into rock like she was so she put bands on there like the you know the bands of the time like corn and linkin park and crazy town and all you know limp biscuit and all that yeah so actually that's you know and that whole skateboard sceney stuff is how i got into that and then i remember i think one one it must have been the next birthday like 30th birthday or something my mum was like what do you want and i was like oh i'm into rock now get me some rock (laughs) she'll get me something modern you know and she shows up with this with this like sampler and it was called like born to be wild 16 rock classics or whatever and it was like no song was newer than the mid 80s yeah yeah what the fuck is this (laughs) no you're you're fine you've had you've good to swear fair enough but then obviously I listened to it and it had like some great bloody stuff on it. It had Rainbow on it, it had Motorhead on it and, and, you know, all sorts of stuff that I was, you know, not exposed to before. Because my parents weren't into rock. Like my mum's into the Weather Girls and my dad's into bloody, you know, classical and, and world music yeah. and stuff like that. So I, was, I wasn't really exposed to that stuff. But yeah, that, that got me really like diving into more classic stuff. And I remember like being on holidays as a kid, like a few years later, you know, like with my... When we, in Germany we called it a disc man, I think you just called it a walkman. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Little portable CD player was just lying on the beach and listening to like, you know, every Maiden album. Because basically, like, I'd go once a month. I'd go to the record shop that you know we still had independent record shops in those days, 
and I'd, I'd, you know, blow all my money on on albums, and I'd always buy like one maiden album, and then like two or three others. That yeah. Because I always knew I was getting something good with maiden, and you know, I'd be listening, you know, to all sorts on the beach, like you know, um, Van Halen one, and yeah. And, I mean, it was it was Germany, like maybe early two thousand, so there was a lot of a lot of power metal and stuff like that going <laughs> yeah. on, and like melodic death metal was just starting out, so like the the cool kids were getting me into that. I was like, I'm not into this singing, mate, but I love <laughs> the, the Whitley guitar playing on it. So that was yeah, that's how it kind of started for me, you know. And I guess you obviously mentioned Maiden, and I guess that kind of fits into to where you are now. So, but obviously, when, when, were Maiden kind of the bands that you were sort of gravitated to predominantly? And was it because of the guitar playing, or was it just something else that you were kind of interested in? It's. I tell you what, it's my relationship with Maiden is really funny because for okay. like a few years in those formative years you know those kind of between 13 15 16 yeah. those kind of ages when when these things have this really big impact on you and it's like nothing you've ever heard before and these kind of things stay with you all your life i was such a such a big maiden fan in those days and i wasn't you know good enough a musician to be able to like kind of quantify it for you and say oh, this, <laughs> is why, this is why it was just it spoke to me it was like it had something that nothing else had like it was melodic and it was epic and it was you know it was like everything else seemed too much one way or the other it was like too technical or too cheesy stuff yeah like too you know it was it was i always i always kind of go i don't understand how when some bands sing about dragons and wizards it's incredibly cheesy yeah yeah when dio or dickinson do it it's fucking cool (laughs) (laughs) you know obviously it's a certain time and so on and so forth but after you know playing it to death for two or three years i really went off maiden for a while okay like, i suppose as you do like as i don't know if you play an instrument yourself but but you go through this phase of like getting into really complicated music you get into prog and all these kind of things because you want to get better as a player yeah of course the technique is the way to do that and then when you get older and more mature, you realise, oh, less is more, and maybe I should write a tune and not whittle or, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. stuff it full of stuff all the time. Um, so, yeah, it's so strange, because as a kid, yeah, I did have Maiden posters on my wall, and I wanted nothing more than to be in that band. Yeah. And, and being in Monument, like, Monument wasn't something I sought out. Monument found me. Yeah. Like, seven years ago which was really strange like how these things kind of play out (laughs) it's just the universe like reading my 12 year old mind and going there you go (laughs) (laughs) it's it's funny like that isn't it so and that obviously brought you know my love for that kind of genre back a lot as well yeah more into it you know from a playing perspective again Mm. and i always like different stuff i always like being you know like having different challenges and different projects and and I always say like i like being in a band that challenges me because it saves me having guitar lessons <laughs> it saves me money that way if i'm in a band where i've got to like do my fucking homework yeah yeah um, but yeah no absolutely and and it's given me a whole new appreciation for those things and it makes you kind of research what what it is that makes it so special mm. and so on and, and, and but yeah maiden aren't the only band you know i'm I was always one of those people. I was into the new bands at the time, but I was always into classic stuff. Yeah. You know, so, 
you know, I was always into Purple, like Blackmore stuff, and I was always into Priest and Saxon and Queensryche and, you know, all those 80s bands and 70s bands. Mm. So I suppose I was always a bit old school and a bit behind the times. <laughs> and then... In, <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, 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 it's cool. In terms of you kind of then picking up a, a guitar, sort of, was it always the guitar, guitar that you wanted to, to learn or had you kind of dabbled with other instruments and then finally discover guitar? How did that all come about? That's an interesting one, you know. Let me lead with Maiden because Maiden were, you know, is obviously the topic of, of just now. And, yeah. And I just remember hearing Ides of March. Like, it was like one of the first, like probably one of the, in the first 10 albums I bought was Killers, you know. And uh, can you still hear me, yeah? Yeah, it can still, all good. Sorry, just double checking because my picture proved. <laughs> anyway, cool. yeah, no, no. So, Ides of March, I, I just loved that tune, and that was like the first time. Like, I always, like, I'd loved music for years, but that's the first time I went, oh, oh okay, this is what I want to do. This yeah. is cool, I want to be that guy playing that solo or whatever, you know. Um, and my dad always, like, my dad dabbled he wasn't a musician but he always had an acoustic guitar around the house and he'd like play it on christmas and things like this and play like you know my dad's nearly 80 now so you mm. can imagine he was playing like you know old folky kind of tunes and yeah stuff like that. but i suppose there was always a, a certain fascination with that and when i started getting into music it wasn't you know through playing it was more like i was into the music and then i was like i should i should play something and it took me a long time, like I was kind of, I was saving up money, to you what, I was like saving up, I think I saved up about 300 euros yeah. <laughs> back then, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to spend it on, and, and literally my mind went from, you know, any of the, of the, the, the normal, let's say, rock instruments, drums, bass, guitar, over to like, I was even considering saxophone. Okay, cool. Yeah, man, and... But ultimately, it landed on guitar because my dad had a guitar, so I like played it a bit, and I was like, "Okay, I can get on with this." And the funny, the, the funny story is, I walked into the shop. So there was a shop in my hometown, or like the next town over, the bigger town, right? And there was a guy who had a who had a guitar shop, and he gave lessons. Okay. So like, literally, we one day we booked me a lesson at this shop, and I bought the guitar a quarter hour before the lesson. <laughs> and he walks me into this room, and he's like, "What do you want?" You know. And I could only, you know, with the money I had, I could only afford, like, a limited range of stuff. But he points at one wall, which is bass guitars, and he goes, do you want that, or do you want that? And he points at the other wall with the with the electric guitars. And I had no bloody clue what the difference yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. So I just, just pointed at one of the walls. And it, so it could have gone the whole... <laughs> you know what I mean? like, it could have gone the whole different way, whether I would have stuck with it if it was bass. And, you know, as guitar players, we all do dabble in bass as a need must sometimes but you know that's how that came about yeah and just stuck stuck with it just you know think i yeah it's funny when you think back to it because back then you know when you're that age you don't it's not like you're consciously motivated to do something is it i must i just enjoyed it and i just yeah. played time and i was an antisocial kid <laughs> i sat in my room and played guitar and it wasn't only just lessons because that was all like all sorts of genres, you know, but I wanted to do the metal stuff. So when I was home, I'd, you know, not just do the stuff for the lessons, but I'd sit down and, and learn what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I suppose I always tried doubly hard in that respect because I was doing the lesson stuff and then my stuff as well. Yeah. And you mentioned, obviously, growing up in Germany. So, so whereabouts in, in Germany exactly were, were you growing up? I was growing up in um, a small village outside of a town called Bremen. Oh, yeah, yeah. North, basically, it's yeah. not far from Hamburg. Um, 
so yeah, it's it's the same. You know, latitude roughly is London, so the weather's more or less the same. But in in terms of kind of like discovering music and sort of like uh, exploring sort of the musical world, so to say, what something I always find interesting in sort of people's developments and growing up because I think obviously here like here in the UK now like London is very much a hub for for music and then obviously going north you've got like Leeds and Manchester but but people like myself that grew up outside of the bigger cities they maybe had to scrap to find their music scene and stuff so was was that the case for you growing up like was there much of a music scene did you kind of have to travel around to discover shows or how, how did you kind of fall into like the live aspect of things tell you what so I suppose I'll start off with it was it was nice that the scene was small like yeah. the town at the time was maybe like 300,000 people 350,000 people so not that big yeah and the nice thing about that was that there wasn't enough alternative kids to be really clicky right okay like, so you'd go like you'd go to to the park in the summer and have a barbecue or whatever but like the punks would be there and the goths would be there and the skaters would be there and the metalheads would be there and even the rap kids would be you know like everybody that was yeah yeah misfit was there and and i think maybe that's how a lot of music got shared you know um and you discovered new stuff um and for me it was you know obviously going to that record shop and just like as you could back then you put the headphones on and you just spin records for hours and and just spend your time there um, in terms of live, I, I was fairly lucky. I think we did travel quite far for certain things. Mm. But we do have a, quite a big football team and we have a big stadium in Bremen as yeah. well. And that means that every so often a stadium act would come to town. Like, I remember being in bed and like hearing Michael Jackson sound check <laughs> like, miles away. Like, it was so bloody loud. And this is like me like bef- like before I turned 10, probably. Yeah, like, yeah. So, that, like, the first real show I went to see was Metallica in 2004 oh awesome that's, pretty, that's a pretty good awesome. show and I was like I, was, I remember I had I'd done my knees in because I was playing basketball and it wasn't going well <laughs> at the time <laughs> I did my knees in a lot um, and so I was on crutches so we were only seated and, and I just remember it being so loud like having to hold my ears on the on the fireworks and I think it was like Slipknot and In Flames were opening and at the time I knew nothing about those kind of bands yeah yeah it was way too heavy for me and then obviously later on I got into those kind of bands and I was like oh I wish I'd paid more attention yeah. <laughs> it was quite funny like watching Slipknot play like in the daylight you know like, <laughs> in 2004 and yeah but we did I suppose we kind of you know part of the reason why you, you got in bands because this is like pre- like it's not pre-internet, but you know what I mean. Like everything wasn't as readily available. Yeah. So all of you know, if you were in a band, all of a sudden your CD collection grew from the 20, 30, 50 CDs that you have to this pool of everybody else that's in this band, and you'd be swapping CDs, and and that was kind of part of the fun. And and it, but in terms of playing, we were kind of we we were unlucky, I suppose, in the sense that there wasn't much of a live scene, like in the underground in the yeah. city so we tried our best to get something going at the time and again because it was so small it didn't really matter what genres were playing together and stuff like that as long as it was kind of you know left of the mark it was kind of accepted um, but we never really you know there wasn't there wasn't that that huge thing where we managed to you know make this huge thing happen in our town or something little things happened but we'd, we'd have to travel 
to do better shows and ultimately the, the reason I left in my you know late teens was because there wasn't much going on and it was hard to find other musicians and so yeah. on and, and London seemed like a good hub to, <laughs> yeah. to come to you know that was it so kind of before you you did come to to London what you, you mentioned sort of playing a little bit but had you sort of sort of look, started looking into starting like I don't want to say proper bands but but like a band that was maybe looking to do something a bit more than just playing locally or had that kind of not started until you moved over here no I mean we of course we always had big dreams um, let's say I think ultimately the reason my my first kind of bands in Germany failed is is literally because it's a very rare thing that you know five really dedicated people come together at the right time at the right age yeah so we were always fighting it was me and, and this drummer who's still one of my best friends today and he's a, a pro muso and he's in bands and stuff these days but it was you know him and me meant business and everybody else was kind of just along for a laugh and right you know and we you know we honestly we were like in we started several different bands. Like we had a blues <laughs> yeah. rock band. We had like a head, like a super heavy, like seven string band when like Nevermore was in and stuff like that. And we were into that stuff. And we try out all these singers, and half of them were girls that just wanted to come and hang out with a band and write, you know, lyrics in in evil sort of calligraphy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and but none of them like bloody picked up the mic, you know. And so we were just like booting out people left, left right, and center. And you know, and I tried joining other bands there that were a bit more established, and they were all older, and they it was kind of personality wasn't happening, I suppose. I was mm. too young and too eager. And, but no, I've always, I always wanted to make something happen. I always, like, got right into writing music and recording music and all of this stuff. And I suppose one of the reasons I left first was because, you know, there, there was unis here where you could study rock and pop music. Yeah. In Germany, you couldn't study that stuff. You could do jazz or classical. At the time, now it's kind of changed, you know. So that was my big thing. And then I was like, you know, I thought if I came abroad, I was scared of getting stuck in in that scene of the German-speaking yeah. country. Because a lot of people just play those four countries over and over again, you know. And I suppose the ironic thing is that I've been here for 10 years now and Monument's biggest market is Germany. (laughs) (laughs) And we play there more than we play anywhere else, really, you know. So it all comes back around. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of kind of like the those sort of earlier bands, has it always kind of been, I guess, like metal-leaning bands that you've kind of been drawn towards or or had you kind of dabbled in, in sort of other kind of genres at all? Where, where did your sort of, I guess your 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 sort of testing of the waters come from? Yeah, I suppose so. When I was growing up, it was always always rock and metal bands, like from blues rock, because we liked seventies White Snake and yeah. we liked Purple and those kind of things. So we had those kind of bands, and you know, got Hammond in there and stuff like that, um, all the way up to like you know thrash and death metal kind of stuff. That was kind of my range. And then when I came to London and I studied pop music and so on and so forth, I was it kind of changed a bit I kind of went for a few years I went oh I don't want to like run a band I don't want all that stress anymore I think it'd be easy to just go and play for someone and be a session guy which mm. is again it's one of those cycles that all all us kids that go to music uni think oh I'm going to be the session guy yeah and, yeah and then like five years later we remember that it's not the 80s anymore and it doesn't <laughs> really exist in that way anymore 
but yeah no and so when I came to London I did all sorts man I did like a theatrical rock band for many years with the makeup and all this stuff oh wow I played, I played on a few pop records and, and acoustic stuff and and the funny thing is I always thought oh, I'll, I'll go more into pop because the money will be better mm. um, and I can make a living from it not like that was ever my you know only uh, motivating factor but you, you had to make a living and I thought oh if I can do that then I can you know use my resources my spare time to do the music that I actually want to do yeah um, but if you're you know with metal I was always into it and I was always, always good at it so what ends up happening is that stuff just finds you. Like, <laughs> yeah. You are, you are that guy. People know that you're good at that and that's what you end up getting hired for. Yeah. And so I just fell more and more back into that. And, and in the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can make this work. But these days, you know, I, I, I know that that's a strength and, and make that work for me commercially as well, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. It came back round. <laughs> yeah. It came back round in metal. Yeah. So... How old were you when you when you moved out to, over to London? I must have just turned nineteen. Okay. School, yeah, I finished art equivalent of A levels. Yeah. And then pretty much moved straight afterwards because I kind of I auditioned for this college or this university like something like six months before I finished school, um, and they gave me an unconditional offer. Or you know the condition was basically finish your exams. Yeah, yeah. There was no like grades I needed to get or something, so I I, I flunked exams quite bad because I didn't have you know I didn't have to I was like accepted at this place but yeah it was that I finished school in June and then in September we packed up the car and 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 went over you know so did you did you have like any kind of like sort of uh like bedding here like did you know anyone here or was it completely sort of fresh start thrown in at the deep end yeah well in in London it was the deep end because I didn't know anybody yeah you know, i ended up living in student halls and things like that in the beginning and just making new friends you know and, mm. and that was part of the excitement was that you you know that there was all these you know different characters from all over the world and it really broadened your horizon not just musically but personally as yeah well. um but i do so I, I should explain that yes i grew up in germany but my mum so my dad is German, but my mum is half English, half Dutch. Right. So my mum was born in Romford, and she has folks, we have folks, um, out in Grantham, Peterborough, Nottingham. So I've, I've been to the UK, like I've been a few times for Christmas and things like this. And yeah. I still go and see them once or twice a year, you know, I see all them now on Mother's Day. Um, but in terms of London, no, I didn't really have a support network in London, no. But I was very lucky that my parents were very supportive at the time, and they... You know, they helped me with everything, including you know finances and, mm. and things like that, um, for for many years uh, when I was going to university. And they were always supportive, you know, in their own way. They they're, they're not very touchy feely people, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. but they were always quietly. You, you do, you know, you know best. You do what you think you should do, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So they let me be, and they let me grow up, and 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 make my own mistakes. <laughs> kind of on the flip side like talking about sort of growing up at near Brenham and, and sort of like the music scene there and obviously seeing Metallica like as I mentioned like when I was younger like London was the hub of like going to, to yeah. gigs and things like that so when you sort of like got here was it kind of like oh especially like I, I guess in the metal world as well like there's so much opportunity here were, were you sort of like overwhelmed by that or were you just like I want to 
immerse myself in this as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I was overwhelmed. I don't think I was intelligent enough to be anxious about things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that comes later in life. No, I tell you what, I loved it because in honestly, back in Bremen, I had the I only got to play a couple times a year. I got to do shows like there wasn't tons of stuff going on, and there was you certainly couldn't like open for bigger acts and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved to London, literally like you know joined next to uni, like joined a couple of bands, and I was and I ended up playing every week, like in some shithole in London, but <laughs> yeah. I was every week, and it's how I cut my teeth. You know, it's how I learned the trade. Because, you know, you, you everybody, you know, you get students, you know, guitar students that ask you how you get good at doing shows and, and you know, what do I need to practice at home to be good at playing live? And you just need to go and do 200 shows. That's yeah, yeah. You know, and that, that, that's that's the only trial by fire there really is. There aren't really any shortcuts. So, uh, for yeah, for a few years I was playing in London tons. And then you kind of, you branch out and you play outside of London and you realise, oh, I get paid here. <laughs> you know, like, you're just taken care of a bit better and, and it's a bit more of an event, whereas in London, it's so oversaturated, isn't it? No one really cares. And yeah, yeah. You're playing, you know, at whatever pub in front of 30 people, and, <laughs> and, which is great for learning, but after a while, that doesn't really cut it anymore for, you know, for you paying the bills and so on. Yeah. And so, yeah. And that's... But yeah, I loved it. I loved it in the beginning, absolutely. And before we kind of go go sort of deep into to Monument itself, obviously you've said playing in sort of various other bands and things like that. So something else I always kind of like to explore is like what a person's first experience of kind of touring was. Obviously you mentioned sort of playing shows in London and then going further afield. But what what was the kind of first band that you were in that had kind of actively was were going on tours and sort of maybe exploring the world a bit further yeah um so i was in this band called calatrillos for many years and this is the theatrical kind of rock album right okay it was quite you know i had a brazilian singer italian drummer it was that typical london thing of everyone yes <laughs> yeah i know it very well <laughs> so it had kind of a latin vibe a kind of system of a down kind of vibe and and obviously tons of harmonized guitar and stuff because i was playing <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of got progressively heavier over the which is quite funny, really. You know, it started off quite tame, and in the end, it was seven strings and all sorts. Um, but you know, that was the the first band that was that I was in, and we were a four piece for a long time. Like it was drums, bass, one guitar, and a vocalist. Yeah. So, and the drummer was like maybe ten years older than me or so. So you know, he had a a, a big car and he had a roof box on it that our gear could fit in, and that's how we toured. In quotation marks. Yeah, yeah. Back then, but that was it. Yeah, like we we go around the UK, like we go to Wales a lot and play like the dingiest motorbike clubs in Wales, and it was a great time. You know, it was like it was it was lads on tour. You know, it was boys on the road having having fun and and just enjoying the experience, I suppose. Yeah. And dreaming big and and not really having a lot of responsibilities or a lot of worries back home that were kind of an issue. You know, so that was a, it. Was a great time of my life. You know, I couldn't do it now. All that stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from back in those days. Like, I can't drink as much as I used to. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't. I don't have. You know, don't have the the time or the muse for it anymore. As yeah, well. too much stuff going on where you you know you can't really let yourself. You know, and that's a good thing. Like, I I I don't regret that at all. But it was it was very formative at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. it was great because you're. You know, you're out there and, and, and you put yourself out there all the time and you're subject to 
a lot of praise and a lot of bad reviews as well and and you find out how things work in the real world you yeah know? that it's not all you know fun and glory and and that there are tricky situations and situations where you don't get paid or there's problems with another band or whatever it is you know all these kind of little things that you then just develop skills to combat and add to your toolbox you know <laughs> yeah so that's it and you mentioned earlier, obviously, regarding sort of monument, it was it was a case of like it wasn't something that you seek, were seeking out. It was something that kind of found you. So, can you explain that a little bit more? Like, how did the the you joining the band sort of come come to be? Sure. So the the band only existed for maybe like a year or so before I joined. Yeah. Um, and I had a friend called Dan Panzer who was in the band in the beginning. And him and me used to meet up and like do you know some YouTube content together, like just play through videos and just have fun with guitar right. and stuff. That he was like a uni mate of mine. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, so I finished college. I should start here. I should, I finished <laughs> yeah. college and was kind of it was a weird time for me because kind of I had like a few bad breakups that year and finished college and all my friends kind of moved back home like and all of a sudden it was kind of me and two other people I knew in all of London like my whole network had fallen apart again yeah. and I was kind of really not happy and, and my friend that I was playing she was a singer and I was in I was playing acoustic guitar for her at you know cafes and bars and so on and she was like do you want to go and do this thing abroad and, and they offered us we auditioned and they offered us you know six months a season at a hotel in Greece in okay Greece. and I said you know what fuck it I let's go because I need to reevaluate my life and yeah, my yeah. And have some time to myself and not worry about you know walking around the corners and bumping into exes and not worry about <laughs> yeah. how I'm gonna pay you know rent and so on and so forth and it was a really good time because it was like you lived at the hotel but and you got wages and all this so it was like financially speaking I suppose it was the the easiest time of my life yeah so it, it made me get my shit together and it was the first time in my life that I wasn't in a band whether it was my own or whether I was playing for someone else it was the only time I wasn't in like a heavy band and, and that makes you realise that you really miss it Yeah. so I was always writing and always kind of missing it and, and thinking am I going to go back to London or back to Germany once I finish here because I hadn't decided and the funny thing was at the beginning of the trip like literally maybe like a couple of weeks in I get a phone call from Peter Ellis who's the singer in Monument Yeah. and he's like hey mate this is Peter, you know, introducing himself. And he's like, I, I saw that video you did with Dan and uh, so-and-so is leaving the band. It wasn't Dan, it was the other guitar player at the time. I think it was, now I need to, I think it's Ben Lundy. Yeah, I always mix them up, Ben Christo and Ben Lundy. No, it was Ben Lundy yeah. was, was leaving the band. And they were trying to get me in and I was like, mate, I just took this contract. I'm out here for like another five months and sorry, I can't do it. So they got someone else. They got this guy called... Uh, David Del Cid, who's a neuron spoiler, if that rings any bells with you there, kind of classic yeah. our sort of band as well in London. Um, and then sort of, so I thought I'd lost that opportunity. And then but like two or three weeks before I was due to leave, I get another phone call from him. And he goes, guess what? This other guy, you know, has issues with whatever it was, a visa or something, and he can't come like in tour. Um, do you want to? Do you want to come and replace him? Do you want to do the gig? And I was like, actually, I'm back soon, so why don't we meet up? And we met up at the at the Intrepid Fox when that was still a thing. Yeah, and, yeah. And got on great, you know, as as people, and and he seemed to know what he was doing. And so I joined, and 
a week later and was in the studio doing some stuff and it kind of went from there you know so so that's what i meant by it kind of it found me yeah it was kind of, I, I was i wasn't out to like you know form or be in like a classic you know made an influenced band it just kind of found me and it was something that i was good at and i enjoyed and yeah. stuck with it you know and that was it and in terms of kind of like as you say like it's got monument obviously has that very sort of like classic sort of like heavy metal rock sound to it and like for many people that has a sort of nostalgic value to it but obviously what you guys are playing is very modern and current sort of thing so when you were first sort of going into the band and sort of like I guess treading the water to start with 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 the band what was there kind of a split crowd of like oh this has a nostalgic feel to it so that's why i'm into this to compare to like oh no i'm just a fan of monument sort of thing that's an interesting one you know i i think i think it's almost it, it is a generational question mm. it is of course like and i think the reason we we are successful is because it speaks to so many people on different levels. Yeah. It's because, you know, the, the punters who are in their 40s and 50s and, and above who grew up with those bands, they hear something that reminds them of that. And I think it's something, you know, we always, it was like we, we always set out, it's so funny because, like, we never really set out to, like, oh, let's, like, play, like, these three bands. It was never that kind of thing. It was kind of like how each of us individually sounded and then we kind of made a conscious decision to you know we were so sick and tired of all the all the you know quantized and triggered and 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 all that computery music you yeah. know what i mean we kind of missed the humanity in it like we missed listening to freddie singing a bit out of tune sometimes and you know not perfectly in time and we and, and we noticed that so many people were having the same thing like they were getting so bored with that kind of constant churning out of of you know all those, you know, major labels putting out, you know, bands with the same bloody production. <laughs> yeah. Sounded the same and everything's quantized to, you know, smithereens and, and just the humanity, like the, the danger of that was kind of missing. And we were always like, we're a live band and, and we always, I suppose, chased in the studio, we always chased our live sound, which is kind of weird because back in the day, that's all you really got is your live sound. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But now it's changed so much that you kind of, having to step backwards and do that consciously you know but yeah of course with, and with the younger kids the younger crowd obviously i think because i mean a they're good songs sorry they're, they're catchy songs <laughs> uh, and they, they stick in your head if you're and if you're into that vibe into that feel and obviously it has more modern production because that's what we set out to do we, we wanted it to be you know to be classic and to be human and, and to sound like a band playing but obviously be current and and slam you know and, and yeah. sound great there's no reason why these days you should make something sound like it's from the 80s you know which was i think also our problem with a lot of the other classic kind of bands that were out there because then it becomes too pastiche kind of it becomes you know a trivia act where yeah. we always wanted to be forward thinking and and try and go somewhere new with it you know mm. And was that something that was a, kind of a bit of a challenge? Because I think if you look at uh, the band that pops into my head straight off the top of it is, is a band like Steel Panther that obviously, like, they are very tongue-in-cheek. They're very sort of 
they they play to the nostalgia sort of thing whereas you guys okay maybe in some element that it's there underlaying but i don't i don't see you as a nostalgic band if that makes sense so was it interesting yeah okay cool so was it difficult to kind of like separate that in in the early days and kind of say like okay yeah we are influenced by x y and z but as you say we want to be forward thinking yeah um, i don't think it was difficult at all i think we were always very conscious that literally like we took the steel panther example and went that's not it like steel <laughs> such a funny because steel panther are all fantastic players and the songs are fantastically written and they're one of these bands that i always go if they wrote proper lyrics if they were like if they were not a piss take band they'd be one of my favorite bands now yeah yeah but because they are that gimmick just wears off really quickly and i haven't like since the second album i haven't bought any more albums and i think it's kind of it's a different crowd like for me that is entertainment like i go i've seen them a couple times live but the kind of people that go there are you know city people that you know change out of their suit and they put on a wig and they go (laughs) yeah have a good time revisiting the 80s and and for them it's it's a theme park you understand it's like whereas we no we we always thought we missed that scene we were always like there were so many great bands coming out of britain in the 70s and 80s we just always wondered what happened we were like what you know where did that all go why isn't there more you know why are there no not more bands flying the flag for kind of heavy metal with with you know good good vocals and because it kind of went so it went so far with the extreme metal thing it's so weird you know i was the other day i was driving home at 11 p.m and the rock show the radio one rock show was on and i was like i'll give this a go and it was like behemoth and periphery and all these bands you know you still there, Tim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice one. Sorry, I was waffling. That's, but, you know, that's cool. Like, can you imagine, like, ten years ago, like, that's the that's the, the rock show? Like, yeah, like, yeah. There's nothing, like... But I suppose that's what, what the scene is into, what the kids are into, is is screaming and boy band vocals and screaming and boy band vocals. And that was just never our thing. We always liked Coverdale and Dickinson and, you know, Ian Gillen and those kind of singers. So that that's all it really was yeah. for us. Like, we wanted that those vocals and we liked Twin guitars and, and solos and, and those kind of songs you mm. know and that's how it ended up being what <laughs> it is you know? yeah and in terms of kind of uh, like I guess there's level I guess is the right way to say it I don't know but like mm-hmm. the stature there we go that's a better way of saying it of where, where you guys are now mm-hmm. was there kind of like because obviously every band has to sort of cut their teeth somewhere and sort of, as you say, start off in in sort of like the pubs and clubs and things and build their way up. But yeah. was there a, like a moment when you guys kind of thought like, oh, like we've got a bit of momentum behind us. This is actually a thing that people care about. Can, can you like pinpoint a moment when that sort of like flips the switch flips sort of moment? I I think there was probably two moments. The first one was when we got signed a couple yeah. of years ago. Because that's a big deal. Like, yeah, of course. Never, and I certainly, you know, I've been with like shitty little agencies in London and stuff like that. But, you know, actually getting signed to like, I think at the time it was a three album deal that got extended and so on. Um, so that was a big one, which was like 20, I want to say 14, 15, something like that. Yeah. And then last year was, was really the big one where we realized, you know, we had a new album coming out in the spring 
and we just landed this booking agency called Continental over in, in Germany and they booked us a, a, a really lovely row of festivals over on the continent like and the, you know when it's like when you're starting to play festivals that you've heard of <laughs> yeah. festivals that you wanted to go to when you were a kid and you're not playing the tent at four in the afternoon you're playing main stage you know that's when you start to go and then obviously you know in, in some of those countries you know you, you get kids especially that are incredibly into the music and you know they come to the meet and greets and they're so enthusiastic and it really gives you this perspective of oh actually it's not about me anymore like not just about me having my fun on stage it's you know there's there's kids out here that really that it does something for them it makes you know they may have trouble at home or whatever and 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 things may not be all that great but they get some sort of solace from what we do yeah and it then it becomes a, that bit more important <laughs> yeah yeah i think that was kind of a real realization i had personally last year and, and possibly some of the others have noticed that as well and obviously it what that does is it puts the pressure on as well and pressure isn't for everybody mm. um but you know for me after that kind of freaks you out it's really exciting yeah yeah and and you work harder to make it happen because of those reasons i suppose you mm. know and in terms of kind of like you mentioned earlier that when the band was sort of starting out, there was always kind of the, the element of, of wanting to be a live band, so to say. And obviously you mentioned yeah. there, like playing sort of festivals, playing like main stages and things. And like from w- watching a couple of like videos and stuff, your live production is quite a big deal sometimes, like on the bigger stages. Mm. So, so was that kind of, kind of talk me through that process of kind of going from the, the smaller pubs and clubs to, thinking like oh no we actually need to to think of what we're doing on stage rather than just playing our instruments kind of thing like what what how did those conversations go yeah i think that was that was quite a formative process definitely and and ultimately it comes down to i think that the we we always we always knew we wanted we wanted to be the band that fills that role that, that headlines main stage of Vakken when all these bands retire you know what yeah. I mean when Priest and Maiden retire you know Slayer's gone like Metallica will go fairly soon-ish I suppose I mean you never know Maiden might last another 10 years but <laughs> yeah. our thing was always like who's you know after that who is there like okay maybe Sevenfold can headline and maybe Nightwish can headline but who else like what other melodic metal band is out there that can fill that kind of niche yeah and, and that was not you know that's not where the whole idea came from and like oh let's capitalize on that or whatever we always did the music we did because we loved it you know but that was kind of that played into it and we kind of consciously decided a few years ago to step up the stage show and everything because we wanted to play bigger stages yeah you know we of course we went and we did the clubs and and we supported some really cool bands we had some really great tours um, but ultimately, yeah, this is what we want to do. We want to play big stages and we want to play the big festivals. And you can only really make enough noise to get those kind of gigs if you're a professional act and if you put on a show. Like, it's not just about standing there and, you know, and we always knew we had something kind of, I don't want to use the word special, but something that's maybe like a little rarer these days. Yeah. Where, you get a lot of those techie techie bands that stand there and play their instruments very well and like half of it's coming off the backing track and it sounds fantastic but 
they don't look like they're having fun on stage. Yeah, yeah. So it's like so complicated the music that they just have to stand there very still and play very perfectly. And that was never what we were about. We don't care about a bum note or a bum chord. We <laughs> run around on stage and we have fun because we think that you know people are there to have a good time. And if if you want them to have a good time as an artist, you need to look like you're having a good time. Or yeah. You need to actually have a good time, which we do. You know. So. We do take it very seriously, but at the same time, it's always light and fun. And yeah. We always play off each other's energy on stage and things like that. And then, yes, things like pyro and the big stage set and stuff came into it just to make it larger than life so we could fill these big stages. Yeah. You know, it kind of, it, 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 it evolves together, I suppose. You kind of go, oh, fuck, we've got to play such and such, you know. We've got to share a stage with Maiden or Priest or whatever. We can't just like be there in our t-shirts. You know? <laughs> yeah, you make the best of it, you know. And we were always one of those bands where we'd rather play a couple of really good shows a year than you know playing every weekend at some pub. You know? Yeah, yeah. We always made that conscious decision because we don't think it's good for for any band. You know, if you want to if you want to play in the big leagues, there's no point in in underselling yourself. You know. Mm. And I think, like, you put the nail on the head, like, for from when I'm a spectator, like, I would much rather watch a band who are sort of full of energy, running around the stage and enjoying themselves, than watching a band that maybe technically completely sounds, but the only member of their band that is running around as their vocalist and all the others are just sort of stood there. It just, it just does nothing for me, personally. I agree with you and thank you for saying that it's nice to get some feedback on that you know and I agree I was always the same I was like you know I can appreciate those things for what they are and I yeah. can say that's really well done and that's fantastic but does it touch me no it doesn't it, though you know Maiden touches me the fact that these 60 year old men are running around on stage <laughs> yeah. like teenagers having a laugh and playing amazing music at the same time it's mind boggling to me you know so if I can aspire to be half the musicians these people are then I'm a happy man yeah 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 and to kind of I guess in a way bring things full circle obviously sort of mentioned you are now playing these bigger stages these bigger festivals and, and on occasions playing with bands that would have influenced you in your formative years sort of thing so yeah is it a kind of a strange experience now that to some extent they're now your peers totally <laughs> yeah. absolutely 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 no. Honestly, like I was, we were playing metal. I was I almost said metal camp, but it used to be metal camp. What is it now? Metal days. And yeah. I'm, and I'm having a piss, and Halford walks in, and he's like, "It's nearly time." And I'm like, "Yeah, go on, Rob." <laughs> 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 it's just like it's one of those things where you're like, and and but the fact that a lot of these guys do stay so humble gives you so much more respect for them, and and you know personally, that's why I love these festivals is because you get to just you know socialize and hang out in catering and, and chat to some of your heroes and fanboy a little bit like yeah you normally wouldn't and obviously meet new friends as well and other bands that are at the stage that you're at and you kind of hope you know that in 40 years time you're the black sabbaths and rolling stones and so on of this world and you'll be looking back at those times and having a laugh about it yeah friends still you know so yeah, it's it's a lovely experience. That's why I, I personally love playing festivals because it's such a big, like it's not just about the show; it's about everything around it, you know. And and yeah, you you just you dive in and you make the best of it. You know? <laughs> yeah. you a day, maybe two. It's a limited amount of time, and it's this big, 
you know, everybody's in a great mood and, and then you all go away and then you do it the next year. <laughs> you know? yeah. it's, it's like a little musician's holiday. So. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Um, Dan, how I like to, to round things up is to to ask my guest um, what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So okay. uh, what is your favourite Monument song that you like to play live and why? That's an interesting one. There are so many. So <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm gonna say Hair of the Dog, yeah. just because it's on my mind. It's been one of those songs that we, because there was a new album, yeah. we played loads of stuff off the new album, um, and we haven't played that one in a while, and I've been missing it. You know, it's been one of those, like, I've yeah, like yeah. It's time is coming again. It's got to come back around because it it was always really fun to play. It's just one of those songs that just came together really well, and like I love every bit of it. You know, yeah, that's it. Perfect that's my choice. There we go. <laughs> Perfect, Dan. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Tim, thank you so much. You take care, and uh, I can't wait to have this chat again. No Sometime. worries. Take Be care. Right. Take care. Bye, Cheers. Dude. Bye. Bye. So there we have it folks, thanks again to Dan uh, for his time, as always you can keep up to date with what Monument are doing uh, by visiting all their various social media platforms, which will be uh, linked in the description of this episode. I'm going to keep this outro pretty short and sweet for this week, but please remember, uh, if you do enjoy the show, please rate, subscribe, review, wherever you're listening to it, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, SoundCloud, wherever, I know I keep saying it. But YouTube, I will get around to doing a YouTube channel at some point. Um, But yeah, for now, thank you very much for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast. And I'll see you soon.